1 Peter chapter, 12, chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, reading. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evil doer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let, but let him glorify God on this behalf. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us all turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for drawing us into thy house once again. We pray for thy mercies, we pray for thy cleansing and washing thoroughly in the blood of our Saviour. Oh, Father, we do ask that you, Lord, will remove all the distracting thoughts, all tiredness of the body and cares of the weak, and draw our hearts and minds into thy word. For, Lord, only thy word can help us through this life, that we may live as we ought to. And, Father, even as the many hymns that we have sung reminds us, O oh God, of the trials in life, the many unexpected difficulties in life. But yet, Lord, these hymn writers, they truly knew their God. And Lord, we know that it is not by chance that you have allowed these things in their lives. And the hymns that they have written truly reflect their hearts. And it is so much reflecting scriptures. So we pray, Lord, that we too would live right when and have the right thoughts when we go through trials. In life. Use your word to open our eyes of understanding. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we continue to study about trials. Look at verse 12. Now last week we learned. Now God says, Beloved, beloved, his beloved people. All right? Think it not strange. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Now the Christian must always remember that it is not a strange thing. When we face unexpected trials in life, whatever it may be, for in their case, it was, well, I became a Christian. I thought that life would become better. This is the living God. I'm believing and following the living God. Things should be better. But lo and behold, they were severely persecuted for believing in Jesus Christ. Well, same for us. Maybe in other aspects. Suddenly some things happen in our life. We receive some news about ourselves, about our loved ones, about our job, about our health, about our finances. Well, whatever it may be, we find that it is unexpected. God says, do not be surprised by it. It is something that will happen in the believer's life. All right, so Christians, we must understand that. Don't be discouraged and leave God. Now, these people, they were far more severely persecuted. They went through far more severe things. But God says, 
Well, don't think it's strange. Now, the other thing is sometimes we think it's strange because, well, I've been obeying God. Why does these things happen to me? Well, look at verse 12. God says, well, the, tri- the fiery trial, they has a purpose. That is to try you. Please remember that. This is to prove us, to test us, to refine us. It's like the fiery furnace that refines the gold. It lifts up the impurities. All right, so fiery trials are needed for the Christian. Hence, God says, do not be surprised because I will allow them into your life. It is not out of control. The fire is not out of control. It is very carefully handled by me to purify your faith. Right? So, Christian, don't be discouraged. Don't because, and you find it so strange, and then you, well, instead of being refined, you, you leave the sight of God. You begin to live like the world, all right? So that is the other thing. And do remember that these trials, well, they face physical, very severe physical trials. But at the end of the day, Satan's trials are always to cause us mental, emotional, um, spiritual attacks, all right? So at the end of the day, it is the same thing, to make us fear, to make us distrust God, to make us question God, to make us want to give up our walk with God, our service to God, our trust in Him. So at the end of the day, Satan has the same aim, all right? But God's aim is always for your spiritual good, right? Don't fall into Satan's trap. So when we remember all this, now, then we, are, we learned also, look at verse um, verse. 14, uh, verse 12 again. Now, the fiery trial is to try. Fiery trials, the word fiery means don't be surprised that one day you and I will face something that is very, very fiery. It means This fiery means it is very severe, all right? Very strong to the point where you, you think that you can't take it. You're totally shocked. In other words, God is preparing each one of us. Even if you're a young teenager sitting in our midst, God says, not all of us will one day face something that is very fiery. Well, one of it I can think of is all of us will face loss of loved ones, loss of beloved, dear family members. All of us will face that. And some of us, to some of us, there's a fiery trial. Right? We can't accept the timing. We can't accept why God allows this person to go in this way, the pain that they went through, and so on. So all of us will face something or another. All right. Now then the question, the lesson next is, well, look at question number one. Now what are we told to do when we are under intense trials? What are we supposed to do? Well, first and foremost, we, not, we should not think it's strange. So that is inside us. All right. Now, but there is something else inside us and must come out is found in verse 13, all right? But rejoice, all right? So God says, don't think that as if some strange thing happened unto you in verse 12, but he said, but rejoice. Instead of thinking it's strange, God says, instead of spending your time wondering, God, why did you allow this? God, how can this happen? If, if only, if only you did it this way or you did it the other way, this would not have happened. God said, instead of thinking something strange have happened to you, God says, spend your time 
rejoicing. The word rejoicing. Now, Christian trials are supposed to make us think of it as something to rejoice over. That is the point here. But rejoice. But rejoice. Now, the world, the world has conditioned us to feel that anything that is unpleasant happening to us or to our loved ones, to our family, to, our, to ourselves as singles, anything that is untoward in the eyes of the world is, is something sad. It's something not to be given thanks for, right? If you receive some bad news about your health, your child, your job, well, the people of the world, this is horrible. Well, they come up to you and they put their arms around you and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. They, I'm so sorry. This is so sad, right? But God says, actually, it is a time to rejoice. The health and wealth gospel has also conditioned Christians you may not be in the health and wealth gospel, but you have also been influenced by hearing some things that, well, if I lose something in life, precious or a loved one, that is something that is bad. It's to be cried over. Maybe I end up in a situation, in a job that is very difficult, very unreasonable boss, very, uh, un very bad classmates in school. They say, oh, this is something that is so terrible. And they persecute me as a Christian, for example. But yet God says, well, the response out of this is not cry. I'm not saying that we don't have emotions, we don't cry. I'm not saying that we, we cannot express any um, sadness. But the thing is, where is the rejoicing part? So God does say rejoice, rejoice. Now, the point is this. The Christian must begin to change our paradigm of thinking, the way we think, our concept of life. Now, these Christians, they are no, not going through small persecutions, all right? In Christian history, this was one of the worst time, worst times for Christians. And it is at this time that God teaches his people, please look at things in this perspective. Rejoice. That is the response. So, Christian, whenever we go through any of these trials in life, instead of following, continuing in our old way and the natural man's fleshly way of responding, and I say again, it doesn't mean that a Christian cannot shed tears, all right? But the Christian must have the other emotion, the other behavior, the other um, response as well, which is rejoice. Rejoice. So sometimes when sometimes people text you and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear all this. Now, how do you respond? Is it a whole long message of all the things that have gone on and so sad? Or there is some words of rejoicing, all right? Now, I think I shared with you before, I never forget. This is a real life um, testimony, all right? Someone who wrote about this woman, her child, well, they've been trying to have a child for a long time, right? Finally, they had a baby, a baby girl. And the baby girl contracted something that is very unusual, right? A, a very unique 
disease, incurable. And the baby died at a very, very young age, right? And, well, the they went to the funeral, small little coffin, and, well, people were crying and trying to um, console one another, relatives, friends. They just felt this is such a sad and terrible thing that can happen, that happened to someone, right? A baby in itself, baby dying is already very painful to bear. And then they, this poor um, couple trying to have a baby for so long. Not only that, this woman, she lost her husband recently. So this was a very difficult time for her. And then they asked her to, well, say a few words if she would like to. Say, well, I have nothing to say, but I'll sing a hymn together with you. And they said, what hymn do you want to sing? So the pianist got ready and everything. We'll sing, praise God from whom our blessings flow. There was a hymn request. Praise God from whom our blessings flow. Well, many of them, they began to whisper, Maybe the double loss have caused her to, loss, to lose her mind. I think she is not of sound mind anymore. Who would request for such a hymn? To praise God and think that this is a blessing? There's nothing to rejoice about. Now, that is because we think like the world. So, Christian, I hope that we remember this. And it's important for some reasons which you mentioned after this, all right? So, begin to change that thinking. And even if you request for prayers, even if you give thanks, we must not only give thanks for things that are seemingly good. I'm not saying we don't, all right? We should, all right? We should. But we should not give thanks in a way that would give the impression that if it were not this good result, then there is nothing to rejoice about, all right? So we need to be very careful how we give thanks. We should give thanks but not in a way which if it did not turn out the way I wanted it, I did not get a job or whatever, then it will be, well, very, very sad. Okay? So, that is a change of thinking. What are we told to do under intense trials? Have you ever thought of this? Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, I want to help you understand. This is not, you know, Peter or the apostles in other parts of the scriptures, the apostles say the same things as well. They do the same things as well. I want you to realize that they are writing this in the worst possible time, one of the worst possible time in Christendom to be a Christian. And they write this without, it is not like a theoretical knowledge. You must know that. Because when you face this, you must not think that these kind of things in the Bible are just theories, are just nice to have, positive thinking. It doesn't work. Now, I want you to turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. This is really how they really believed in such response. They really had such thinking. Acts chapter 16 Verse 25. Those who have reached there, let's read together. Acts 16, 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Now, that, how, how is it possible? Now, they are in prison, chained. And some people say this, these prisons are one of the worst. All right? So, it's... 
it's um, like full of um, um, body, body excrements. There are no toilets. The rats will be biting at their, at their legs, climbing up their bodies, and they are just bound up. That is that kind of environment. And even when they are allowed to eat, they, they can barely reach their food and just scrapping it, and it's all dirty. Now, it's that kind of environment. Some believe, some say these are the kind of prisons that Paul go through, the apostles themselves go through. Not, not necessarily nice, like, like, um, like uh, we've been studying Philippines. In the case there is, is um, the prison in the palace, right? Sometimes Paul had some freedom, but many of them were very, very squalid, very terrible conditions. Now, if you and I went on a holiday and then we open the door and we find that the hotel room is not very clean and not very nice, we already complain, and then we murmur and then pick up the phone and get upset and all that. Now, I'm not saying you might purposely go look for a room like that, but we are like that. But here, when they say rejoice, when they say praise God, when they say um, um, give thanks, they say it not as theory. They really have such response. So, Christian, these are Christians' response. The world do not understand how they, it won't occur to them to rejoice. But God says, as Christians, you rejoice. That's one of the things. They sang. They sang. How many of us can sing in that situation? Right? We will be weeping, crying. So the singing is singing praises, not singing how terrible things are and, and all that. But God says they sang praises. Praises. The other prisoners heard them. They would think, why would people sing happy songs in such an environment? It's unthinkable. But God says that that is the Christian's response. All right? So the doctor comes up to you. Now, let's go to another one, all right? Let's go to Acts chapter 5, all right? Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Verses 40 to 41, right? Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 41, reading. And to him they agreed, and when they called, had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame, for his name. Now, they are suffering shame. They are suffering for Christ's name. They're not suffering for anything that they did wrong, all right? Now, some of us, we suffer not because of our Christian living. Well, we suffer because, um, well, we suffer health problems as we grow older. We can't rejoice. We suffer loss of loved ones. We can't rejoice. We suffer um, a loss of um, finances, um, security, jobs, whatever, all right? It is not even about living for Christ. I'm not saying those things are not to be lived for Christ, but it's not even say I'm living for Christ, that's why I'm suffering. I just normal day life things, all right? How much more than we should rejoice? Well, they were beaten, 
They were beaten. Then they were threatened. And God says they departed from the presence. We are all, all sad and say, what a, you know, how can this happen? Such, a, un, such an unfair thing. But the word God put there was they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing. So Christians change our thinking. Rejoicing must be part of the response. You go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm so sorry to give you this bad news. You have cancer. I'm not sure where this will lead to, but I think maybe you have only another few more months to live. What is the response? We are not talking about suffer for Christ, yet even, right? Or you pull into a room, told that, well, this will be our last day, and please pack up and go to your table. Someone will escort you to your table. I, I remember those scenes. They're very scary, right? When we, were, when we bought companies, we had to merge and we had to fire people, let people go. I remember those scenes. And I was repeatedly warned by, by those who were helping us through this change. They say, do not give them any second hope. All right? After you give them the letter, tell them that security will walk them to their desk. They are to pack up their personal things and they are to be escorted out on the spot. Hand out, hand over their badges, hand over their equipment on the spot. It is a very sad thing to see, very difficult thing to witness. So I was constantly reminded, I must not, I must not cave in, I must not um, feel bad as, and give them some hope. It has to happen this way so that they will have a closure and they move on. Very difficult. Now, when that happens to you, how would you respond? Now, I'm not saying that is not a sad thing, not a bad, not, not a difficult situation, rather. I'm not saying that at all, all right? But one of the things is rejoicing. Will they see you walk out the office? Actually, with a smile. You say, well, how, how is it that everyone goes out with, with this sad, or some of them, sad face, some of them crying, but how is it that the Christian smiles? All right, not a cynical smile, right, obviously but that you are joyful, right? That you accept these things as from God. You go out. Even if you're told about your sickness, how do you leave the room? So these are real things that the apostle went through. But God says, well, that is the response. That is the response. Now, why so? Why so? Can you please turn with me to Luke chapter 6? Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. 22 to 23, shall we read together? Reading, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Now Christ gave the disciples this encouragement. So can you imagine what the prophets did, what, the, what their so-called um, previous 
In the Old Testament, some of these persecutors did to the prophets, right? They were horrible things. They threw the prophets into um, what people understand as into tree trunks and sawed them while they're alive in the tree trunks, all right? Burned them and so on, like Daniel's friends. Now, now he says, rejoice, rejoice when? Look carefully in verse 23. In that day. In that day. Well, that day came at that very moment. Can be when the time comes. The Christian is told, not by the apostles' writings, which are God's word, all right? So don't mistake me. But Christ himself rejoice ye in that day. That is the Lord's um, instruction to us. Now look at verse 22. They hate you for believing in what you believe. They separate you from their company, shall reproach you, cast out your name. Some of you know that Christians, young children in school, when they obey the Lord, when they live in obedience to God's word, they don't participate in certain things, they don't play certain things with others, they literally go through this. They shall separate you from their company. God already said that. So parents, when your child comes back crying, my friends, leave me out. My friends, because, you know, they talk about all these things and I say, please don't talk about these things. We shouldn't talk about, these are, these are sinful. And then they leave me out. So, oh, this is a Christian. And then they're very lonely. During break time, they, purpose, they, do, they do it on purpose. They exclude you from the company. Then they come back and cry. How do you counsel your child? God says, well, if it is for Christ, not because you bully, you're a bully, not because you're an unpleasant person to be with, but because of Christ, because of your Christian faith, well, rejoice. Not only that, let's jump up and down. <laughs> because it's literally God, Christ himself said, leap for joy. You see how God talks to us. The very opposite of the world, they want to go up to the top of a building and leap off a building. It's the end of the world to them. But for the Lord, for the Christians, they leap for joy. It's literally, well, that's really what the apostles did, you know. After they were beaten, when they went away, they were rejoicing. I imagine that they were just leaping, right? Even after prison and so on, they're injured, beaten. They were leaping for joy. Maybe just leap. Oh, they tried to hold each other on one leg and leap. Maybe they did that, but we know that the Lord says, leap for joy. Now, this is a very contrary behavior to what we are used to. But Christians, the point that I hope we remember is this. God says, don't think it's strange, but rejoice. In fact, that is tonight's title. Don't think it's strange. When you think it's strange, you will feel sad. You will be puzzled. You'll be confused. You'll be discouraged. But God says, don't think it's strange, but rejoice. But rejoice. When we go through life, we will, we will face trials. Expect it to come. And when it comes, remember the Lord's words. Rejoice ye in that day and live for joy. All right? Whether it's living because of your faith, like in their case, or whatever it is that the Lord allows into your life. Okay? Now, then we go to question number two. All right, question number two. Now, how should I view trials such that it will help me to rejoice and respond rightly? So we know that trials will come. We know that we should not see them as surprising or strange. We know that we are supposed to rejoice. All right? 
Now, but how should I view things so that it helps me, all right? It helps me. Don't think that the, the lady that, that could sing praise God from whom all blessings flow in double laws um, just does it out of the blue. There are people, I'm sure, who have gone through, just like the hymn writers, many of the hymns chosen last week and this week. Go back and look at the words. Now, they are, very, they are thinking people. Look at how they write. They are very biblical. Some of them really reflect First Peter even. They are thinking people. They know about scriptures, how to think, how to look at things. That is why they can rejoice. God doesn't tell us rejoice without helping us to understand how to view things. All right? So how should I view things? Now, we learn from verse 13. Now, first, but rejoice. Now, he explains, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. That is the first thing to learn. All right? So, now, how is it that you can rejoice inasmuch? Well, think about it. Inasmuch to the extent, all right? Because of, you, it brings you to be partakers of Christ's sufferings. So, number one, it is how to think. It is the plan of God. It is a plan of God. Look at verse 12, how it transits. Um, as though some strange thing happened to you. God says it's not, it's not unexpected. It is planned. And there is a plan. The plan is that you be partakers of Christ's sufferings. It is not random and purposeless. Last week we saw the purposes, all right? It is part of God's plan. How can I rejoice? This is not happening out of the blue, God is doing something, and I am excited. That is what it is. Now, I want to say again, I don't say these things lightly, because as I meditate on this passage, I think it is amazing that, that Peter would write such things to the most, one of the most persecuted Christian um, 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 who went through the most, the, one of the worst times in Christendom. Now, they mean what they say. God planned this for you to be partake, to, for you to partake of Christ's suffering. You know, sometimes um, some people say, when I go to work, then um, nothing is happening, I get worried. I say, what do you mean? I say, when nothing is happening, I, I don't know. You know, if, if I'm being um, well, looked at to be fired, See, well, at least if the boss is doing something, telling me something, giving some, me something to do, all right, I'm very excited. I rejoice because at least, well, he seemed to have a plan, all right? Now, well, the Christian must know that when we find things strange happening, we must get excited. God, is, God has not left me alone. God is doing something. And one of the things that he is doing is he, he is trying to make me partakers of Christ's sufferings. Is it in what way, in how? I don't know yet. God made me lose this. God made me um, suffer this. God has a plan. He's doing something. Right? So that is why you can rejoice. Instead of saying, oh no, where is this going? What is going to happen? Rather, you think God has not lost control. God is doing something in my life for my spiritual good and for his glory, all right? So that is the first thing. That is a plan. Now, then you look further. 
in verse 13. That, that is always a very important word to notice in the Bible. That, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now, that is a purpose. God's plan is that you, with, because of suffering, you will look forward to the coming of Christ. And when the coming of Christ, the glory of Christ is revealed, you will be not just rejoicing, my friends. Look at the words chosen, verse 13. Yet you may be glad with exceeding joys. This rejoicing is exceeding rejoicing. Now, in other words, the first plan for you to partake in Christ's suffering, which you'll learn a bit more afterwards, the second plan is in here is to say, now to make you look forward, look forward to that day. What do I mean by that? You know, when our life is peaceful and we are full of um, luxuries and there's no problems in life, now we don't look forward to the coming of Christ. In fact, it's the opposite. We hope that Christ delay his coming. We hope that we have more time to enjoy this world. In fact, we will seldom think about, well, the glory of Christ at his revelation. Now, this Christian said, now, you, you persevere. You persevere because when Christ comes and, and, and that you persevered, when Christ comes, you will be filled with exceeding joy, that, you, that the world will say, you were right. You were right. Now, turn to chapter 2, please. Chapter 2. Verse 12. Now, this is what we are learning about, right? In verse 11, strangers and pilgrims. This whole series about strangers and pilgrims. Look at verse 12. Now, it says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, what is it saying? You will be vindicated on that day. The people that mock you, persecute you. Now, now if, they are un, if they remain unrepentant on that day, they will say, you were right. He is indeed God. For those who believe in the Lord because you rejoiced, you continued to share the gospel with them, they will also glorify God. Right? So it is to make the Christian really focus on things above. You go through all the difficulties. Maybe i give you an analogy, all right? Um, you know, orange juice never tasted so good in my life, all right? Until for a period of time, I could not drink, I could not eat because of um, some problems in my stomach. The smallest thing, all right, is a pain. And then when it got better, and I tasted orange juice, it was like, wow. Oh. And then when I had problems again, I look forward to the time when I get better, and then, wow. Oh. Right? Now, this is what it is. When you suffer, it is to make you think, that day, that day where I can sigh a heave of relief. This persecution is over. I'll be vindicated. Christ will be glorified. That day, I'm looking forward to that day. All right? So, well, that is part of God's plan in verse 13. Clearly, clearly, to wean you, wean you away from the world. So rejoice. God is doing something. If God did not bring this into your life, 
you won't be weaned from the world. You'll be a half-hearted Christian. The other half is mainly just living for self and the world. All right? So it's a good plan. It's a good plan. Now, then this plan, well, we come back to partakers of Christ's suffering. Now, it is to help you, help you understand more about your Saviour. When you partake in his suffering, now the Apostle Paul, we learn in Philippians, he said, I, I long for the, to have the fellowship of his sufferings, to experience his sufferings. That is part of God's plan, God's plan, to make you partakers for what? God likes to torture you? No. When you step into a little part of Christ's suffering, you will love him more. This is God's plan. Until you suffer losses, then you will not understand when, well, like the hymn writer said, I gave my life for thee. You know, I bring rich gifts to you. What have you given to me? Until, until we suffer a little bit of what Christ, just a fraction, then we will appreciate him a lot more. Parents, you always say that to your children. Wait till you're old. Wait till you're old. Then you go through the sufferings that I went through with you. Then you will appreciate me. And it's true. Isn't it true? Those of us who grew up, whether you're single or married, doesn't matter. You grew up and you go through the difficulties in life. Then you appreciate what your parents went through for you, right? So God has a plan for this. Don't look at it as evil. It may be very difficult, very painful, what God allows, whether it's persecution, whether it's losses, for them, they suffered both. See it as God doing something in your life. Now, why did Paul say, I want the fellowship of his suffering? Because Paul understood. And Paul was one of those that he longed for it so much, God did give him. All right? He suffered more than many apostles. But he, when you read his writings, you can see his heart, his love, his loyalty, his devotion to God. Until you go through that, you will not learn to be loyal, devoted to your God. You taste it a bit, then you know. Your loneliness, your being misunderstood, and all that. Christ went through everything, everything. So every time you go through that, you think Christ also went through this. Hence, you will draw closer and know, you know him a little bit more. I think we really know Christ very little. Don't you agree with me? Why is it that when we read about his sufferings, no tears come from our eyes? Why is it that when we sing about his, his sufferings, our hearts are still so cold? Why is it that at Holy Communion, we are just so dry? But you know, those that have gone through the sufferings, and they think Christ went through much more just to save me, they are the ones that really appreciate it. So God has this plan, all right? If you look at verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. All right? It's a plan. It's a plan. That is why when you look at this way, you can rejoice. Now, for example, this, this lady, all right, this woman whose child died, because she is... If her mind is so clear, all right, her mind is so clear. Just take David for example, King David. He fasted. He was broken at the thought of the severe illness of the child. 
that the child may die. And when the child died, now he did not go crazy. He said, the child will not come to me, I will go to the child. Now he has a clear understanding that he looked forward to that day, just like here God says, do you look forward to the day for us to see Christ? All right? He said, well, the people do not understand. How is it that when he was alive, you cried and you refused to eat? Now that the child is dead, you go take a shower, you, you make yourself fresh, and then you start eating. Because, why, why is it that he could respond this way? Because he looked forward to that. Now then, the next one, the next P, there are five Ps, all right? The next P is, you can rejoice if you look at it as an opportunity to prove, to prove yourself to God. When you see trials as an opportunity to prove yourself to God, you will rejoice. You get excited. Now, know this. God used the word to test you, right? Verse 12. The fire trial which is to try you. We saw the word last week, to prove you. And God said the same thing to the children of Israel, to prove you. God doesn't need to know our heart. God knows our heart. God already knows us, all right? To prove you is to bring out in you what will cause you to know yourself, all right? Now, when we get to heaven, dear friends, I hope that this really sink into us. I hope this really sink into us. When you and I get to heaven, there will be no more trials. You say, isn't that good? There will be no more um, testings. There will be no more temptations and, and um, um, attacks on you to want to cause you to, well, to tempt you to deny Christ, to tempt you to, to well, um, just forget about him and just live your own life to get your way. There will be none of this that will exist anymore. You say, Pastor, isn't that what we should look forward to? Isn't that what is great? Now I say this to you. It is only great if you and I have responded rightly on earth. Because if we have not responded rightly on earth and we get to heaven, there is no more opportunity for you, to, you and I to prove Lord, when the crunch comes, I will not fail you. I do not want to fail you. I will not compromise. I will not act like as if it's the end of the world and shame your name. I will not um, um, be tempted to fall into this sin. I will not. Lord, I want to show you my love. But when you get to heaven, if that is not our life on earth, when we get to heaven, we'll say, Lord, can you please, please give me one more chance to go back to earth to suffer. Please give me one more chance to go back to earth to face fiery trials. Why? Because, Lord, I failed you in so many ways. And I want to show you that I do indeed love you. So you see, here, God said to try you is to give you a chance. Now, do you rejoice? Do you rejoice at work when your boss says, all right, this is going to be a very tough project. It's going to really um, cost you a lot to do this project. And you want to prove yourself 
to your boss, to your company, that they did the right thing in hiring you, right? They made the right choice in hiring you, that, they, that you're worthy of what they thought you should be. Now, many of the people of the world, they rejoice. Good, well, this is my chance. Well, many of them want to show off, right? It's a chance to show off, to prove. Well, those of good character, they, they say, yes, let me take it. You know, I want to show you that I appreciate what this company did for me, and I want to prove that, prove my appreciation, all right? Now, that is what it is, to try you. Do you see trials as an opportunity to say, Lord, great, great, Lord, with this, by your grace, by your help, I'll depend on you, and I don't want to fail you. Now, maybe I give you an example. An example. When, maybe as a man, as a husband, right, a very, very attractive woman um, comes to you and tries to allure you, all right, to commit adultery, you must rejoice. What do I mean by that? All right? Not fall into sin with her. You must rejoice and say, this is my opportunity to prove my love, my loyalty, my devotion to my wife. I will not sin. I will not fall into sin with her. This is my chance to really show my wife because there's no other way. I want to put it this way. Now, Peter is the one who write, who's writing this, who's, who is writing this. Peter, of all the apostles, fully understood what it meant to fail Christ and what it meant to be given another opportunity to prove his love to Christ. Remember that. Peter is the best person to write this to, his, to the people. He denied Christ three times after just talk. You see, without trials, it's all just talk. That is all it is. He had a lot of big words to say. So did the other disciples. Now, note, remember when, when Christ was said to have resurrected, he was one of those who ran. He ran to the empty tomb. But he was, he was very excited, right? But at the same time, you notice he was very reticent. You did not hear him saying a lot of things. He was very reticent. He was definitely very thankful that Christ has resurrected. But he was also the one that was, that really found the thought of meeting Christ, the resurrected Christ, something very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Because he remembered how he failed him. And it's so much so that Christ said, specifically tell Peter, I want to see him. God knows Peter's heart. That Peter has failed miserably, and God wants him to, I am going to give you a chance. Which is why, on the beach, he asked Peter three times, if, do you love me? He said, you know, you know, Lord, you know. He dare not say, yeah, of course, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, he just simply said, you know, Lord. And then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep means I'm, I'm reinstating you as an apostle. I've not written you off. See, Peter really treasured that second chance. Hence, he can write. 
when you face trials, fiery trials, please rejoice. This is your chance. Don't be like me. Don't be like me. I failed miserably. Don't be like me. You know, you rejoice that you can have this chance. Just like I am rejoicing that God now gives me the chance again to go through fiery trials. The last time when I was facing fiery trial, I denied him. But now I can't wait to be crucified. And you know the legend has it that he was crucified upside down, all right? Many um, historical writings say that he was crucified upside down. It's is even more severe, even worse, because he felt that he was not worthy to suffer what Christ suffered. Now, meaning this, Lord, I relish the chance. Peter knew that he was going to die, all right? If you read Second Peter, he knew. He told the people, I'm going to leave soon. He knew because the Lord told him. The Lord at the beach told him. You know the story, right? The Lord at the beach say, well, when you're old, you are going to be bound. Means the Lord already told him, I'm giving you a second chance and you will be bound. Means you are going to be captured. You are going to be bound. And he began to relate. I will be crucified and tied to the cross. He began to relate to that. He knew that Christ was giving him a second chance to go through fiery trial. And he said, let it be as fiery as possible because before I meet the Lord, at least I can show him, Lord, I failed you once. This time I want to show you that I love you. I really mean it and I love you. And don't let me be crucified like you. I want to be crucified upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified as you. I want to show you my love. So Christian, until we see it is a plan of God, when we hear the news, when we experience the loss, when we are persecuted in that day, until we view trials as Peter views it as an opportunity now to pass the test. It is to try, to pass the trying. I want to pass this, Lord, to show you that I am loyal. Right? Opportunity to prove our loyalty, our love, our trust our submission. Maybe you are fearful of something. God said, this is a time to prove your trust in me. Will you trust me to go through this? Will you trust me to provide? Will you trust me to help you? Will you trust me to see you through it? All right? So it is to prove ourself. That's why it's exciting. It's exciting. It's something that I learned when I was a Bible college student. We hear it a lot of times, all right? Everything that happens in our lives, not just to full-time students, all right? Everything that happens in the Christian life is a test because God says it in verse 12, which is to try you. Everything in our life is a test. Don't fail it. The moment you see test, I'm excited. By your grace, Lord, help me not to fail you. Otherwise, you will fear. You will grumble. You want to get out of it. Post Peter say, I don't want to get out of this. Remember I shared with you this this, um, this martyr is also a true story. Um, this martyr, the friend, he was, he was in prison for, for the faith. Then the friend had friends in high places. He came to the prison and he said, I'll try and get you out. Don't worry. You know, your execution is tomorrow. I still have time. And this martyr pleaded with him. He pleaded, please, please don't take this away from me. It's my opportunity not just to talk not just to write about loyalty to Christ and His truth, 
It's my opportunity to pass the test. Please don't take this away from me. It leads us to the next P, all right? Don't have regrets. Don't have regrets. It's the best time to show. Best time to show Christ. You love him, not just talk. Now, then it leads to the privilege. The next P, privilege. To be partakers of Christ's suffering. How do we know partakers of Christ's suffering is a privilege? Because we read just now in Acts chapter 5. Why did the apostles rejoice? Why did they um, rejoice? Well, they wrote that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Counted worthy. You know, when people revile you for being a Christian, when you go out for evangelism, they, they take the track and they throw it in front of you. Right? And they, or they, they mock you, or they spit at you. Do you know that when all these things happen, they revile you? The Christian, unless you see it, you view it as, this is me being counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You will just feel ashamed, you will feel depressed, and you say, I'm not going for evangelism anymore. That did not stop the apostles. They said, this is this is being counted worthy. Not everybody is given that privilege. That is what they're saying. So, Christian, if you do face difficulties, just because you are a Christian, you, you go to school, your child's school, and say, we are Christians, we do not want our child to participate in all this, and then they mock you. You can sense when you walk away, and they, <laughs> that kind of things, all right? Well, for your faith, they will mock you. Not many are counted worthy. That's why you will rejoice. Lord, not everyone is given this opportunity, is given this chance, and counted fit for this. You know, I think I also have kind of a reputation. Um, sometimes when I go to buy something or engage in some services. And then people say, oh, uh, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. A very good opportunity to share the gospel or to at least let them know that they can talk to me. Um, I'm a pastor. And they say, oh, which church? And they say, oh, the Bible Presbyterian Church of Western Australia. Now, many of them somehow know you all, right? I think it's a small community. Um, so, oh, you know, my friend, oh, my friend is, oh, you know, the church, the church that doesn't listen to pop music, the church that doesn't watch um, movies, the church that doesn't um, sing contemporary songs, or the church that uses King James only, or the church who, who's, who, whose parents go to school and say, I don't want my child to be doing this kind of dance, uh, participating in this kind of um, gyrating activities. Or that church. Right? So, well, sometimes I feel that is how they kind of like mock you. They kind of mock you on that very strange church. Now, Christian, when we face all these things, just remember, Lord, thank you. Thank you for using me to go through this for your name. All right? So, view it that way. Then you rejoice. Otherwise, you will try to get out of it. You see, Paul is, Peter is trying to tell them, now, unless you see it this way, you will want to get out of this. It is so embarrassing to be a Christian. The carpenter's son who was crucified as a thief. You believe that he's God? Now, the next one. Uh, maybe under privilege. Now, how else is privilege? Look at verse, um, verse 
13. Sorry, verse 14. Now, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, means just for being a Christian, you take on the name of Christ on your name, or whatever sufferings you go through that God allows. Happy are ye. The word happy is blessed. Happy are ye. It is a blessing. Blessings from God are privileges. Remember that. So, now, Christian, how do I view sufferings, trials that will help me to rejoice? These are some of my examples. The next P, quickly, the next P. That it is precious. Precious. All right? Now, if you look at verse... Um, where is it? Verse 13. Your particles. Now, these particles is being selected, accounted worthy to be particles. Now, it's a very precious blessing, my friend. It is very precious to be able to taste the suffering of Christ. Don't take, don't take suffering for Christ or suffering or anything that God allows as something negative, but treasure it. until we begin to treasure all this um, and say, Lord, being chosen to suffer some of what you went, going through, what some of you go through, is something that particular means taste, the right taste, right? To taste some of this, these are the most precious memories I have. You know, many people share the most precious memories they have as a Christian is not when they were rich, when they had a lot of things, but when they were going through very difficult times, trials that God allowed. Or for being a Christian, and then the whole family goes through a very difficult time. They say those were the times that were the most precious. They say, I'll never trade this off for anything. They were the things that helped our faith to grow. They were the times where we felt Christ closest to us in prayer, in the Word. Everything was so real. In fact, it is when, we are, when it's peaceful, when we have much, our life was just, just boring, just, just, um, just dry, if you're honest. See, these are precious, all right? Precious. Now, next one. The D. The D now, because there is praise awaiting. Praise awaiting. Now, look at Verse 13, when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. We will not have exceeding joy. Please be clear. Just because we go through life, you're not, not everyone is going to have exceeding joy. I want you to realize that this is written to Christians who undergo fiery trials. When you go through fiery trials, Christ, uh, God says that there will be exceeding joy when you meet him because... Because you did not deny him, because you did not fail him, because you did not disappoint him. Remember Christ said when, when we meet him, he said, well, there'll be the servants that will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now those who stayed firm, you will look forward to it. There'll be exceeding joy because of the praise of the Lord. I hope that you remember this. All right? I hope that you remember this. What does well done, thou good and faithful servant, mean? 
I hope you remember. What does well done, thou good and faithful servant mean? Or put it the other way, how should it make you feel? Right? Maybe I ask, um, maybe I ask uh, Matthew, all right? Try Matthew. Matthew, when you see Christ, and Christ say, well done, Matthew, what will be on your mind? Very good. All right, adults, be honest, all right? Be honest. Well, for those in the cry room, the answer is that it, is, it has been an honor to serve him and to make him pleased. It has been an honor to serve him and to make him pleased. Maybe ask the adults, so you be very honest, all right? Don't change your answer. Thomas, what would he have meant to you when you meet Christ? We have to understand scriptures clearly and then we will live rightly. All right? Christ said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have, you have exceeding joy on that day. What, will, what do you think your joy, based on what you think now, is about? That I did not fail him. Honest answer. Very good. All right? That is the meaning. Now, for a long time as a young Christian, when I read it, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I said, I want to have this praise from God because it praises me. All right? Now, over time, then I begin to understand what it means. Well done. Well done is not a praise simply to make you feel good. It is not about you feeling good. Well done is Christ. In other words, another way of putting it is like that. You did not disappoint me. Now, children understand that because I think um, um, Matthew's sister said the same thing as well when asked. Well, that I was not a disappointment to Christ. Children understand that. That's why I ask them. Now, when children want to hear well done, all right, at a very tender age, a very simple age, when they want to hear well done, they actually, what they want to know is that the other person is pleased. I want to please the teacher. I want to please daddy and mommy. It is about pleasing. And when I hear well done, means they were pleased. I did not disappoint them. That is what it is. Now, the Christian, if you see the day where I can stand before Christ and Christ say, well done, means say, welcome, welcome. You did not disappoint me, all right? If we see it that way, then we will rejoice in suffering. We will rejoice in trials. We will rejoice that anything that God allows into our life that are difficult because our aim is to please. This is not sales talk, huh? Our aim is to please. When your aim is to please Christ, you see opportunities to go through trials and come out well without disappointing Him as something that is very precious. I long for that. I want more of that. Because when I meet Christ, I want to know that I did not disappoint Him. Now, to not hear well done is simply to know that, well, I've disappointed Him. I've disappointed him. Why did Peter say, you know, when you go through fiery trials, rejoice? He is, I believe, just writing his heart. That's all. Because his desire has always been to please God. I will follow you. I will die with you. That was his heart. But when the time came, he failed and he regretted it. 
But when given the second chance, you say, any time I get, the more I get, the more chance I have to prove to Christ and make him feel pleased that I did not disappoint him. Now, here is where I want to say something about children upbringing. Parents, and then we have one more and then we close. Children upbringing. This is a very important concept. Parents, you must understand. Singles, you must understand the same thing. The Christian life, if you want to be a Christian can re- that will rejoice in all situations, then you must be a Christian who is not expecting to be pleased. Because if you are a Christian who expects to be pleased, then when things are fiery trials, you will be very displeased because it did not please you. But if you are a believer who grows up, that's why parenting is very important. If you are a parent that teaches your child this, well, if you're not happy, we'll, 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 we'll give in to you. Your child will grow up being a child that expects to be pleased. Now, don't blame the child because the children, they do not know any better. They do not know what is sin, sinful behavior, what is right behavior. It is your, your, your duty to teach them. All right, children, but you have grown up, all right? So please don't say it's not my fault. You've grown up and you understand what is sin, what is not sin. But at a young age, if when they show temper, you give in, you are teaching them to be people who expect to be pleased. And you tell them later on, well, all these trials and all this, and all, well, it's, you know, it's for your good. Yeah, rejoice. They will not understand you. They cannot understand the whole concept of when I see Christ, I want to be a Christian who have not disappointed Him. I have been a Christian that wherever I go through, even things that I did not like, even if I suffer loss, but I aim to please Christ. These things that He allowed in my life is a opportunity, are opportunities for me to show Him that I love Him and I want to please Him and I want to not disappoint Him. Because the nature of the child has been one that seeks to please. Understand these are little things that you must notice. If your child knows, if I show face, I throw tantrums, I will get my way, they will simply assume that, well, if parents, adults who know better does it, then I presume that that is the right way to get what I want. And there's nothing wrong to always get what I want. They will never be people who want to please Christ because this whole chapter is simply this. Don't think it's strange that God will allow these things into your life. But rejoice because one day you will meet Him. And if you pass all this test because your aim is to please Him, you will be full of exceeding joy on that day. That is simply put, paraphrased of verses, 12, verses 13 and 14, uh, thir- uh, 12 to 14, sorry, 12 to 13. Simply paraphrased, that is what it means. I hope that you understand this, parents. The temptation to please your child it's very great because it's the easiest way to manage them, right? And we have some very young ones in our midst. You must learn. You must learn. 
I must learn to control myself. I must not expect to get whatever I want. My, my aim in life is to please Daddy and Mommy in the fifth commandment. As long as it's not sinful, I want to please them. Because when I learn to do that, I will, want to learn, I will learn to please Christ. And when I learn that, whatever happens in my life, that even things that I don't like, it's not my way, I don't like it. But yet because Daddy and Mommy wants it, I want to please them, I will do it. And then one day when I grow up, I begin to see well, what Christ wants, even if I don't like it, I want to please Christ. That will be your behavior, your character, your response. Singles, adults, is the same for you, right? So don't just keep looking at your child. It's the same for you and I. Until we learn that we will not see any trials in life as something to rejoice about. Because it's, I don't care about tests. What tests? I just want to be pleased. I don't care about passing any tests, right? Now, then the last one. Right? The promises. The promises. You can rejoice when you see the promises. Now look at verse, verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Ah, that is the promise. Now if you resist, you remain loyal, you will not compromise in your faith, you will not give in to sin in order to get out of difficulties and losses in life. You remain faithful, do the right thing always. Well, God says the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, what does that mean? It means you will not be forsaken. This rest is it comes upon you, it stays with you, it takes hold of you, and it helps you. All right? That is the promise. Why can a Christian rejoice in the face of such difficulties? Because the spirit of glory and of God is upon me. Young ones, when you go to school and your friends leave you out because you're a Christian, you say, I don't play these games. And they say, all right, don't play anything with us. You feel very sad. You feel very lonely. Say maybe for the adults at work. But God says the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, when I read this, I can't help but thinking, you know, when Christ was when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit came upon him. I just can't help thinking of that picture. When we go through, all right, at that moment, you're given that news, or you're, you're suffering that loss, going through that pain, going through that difficulty, going through that very fiery trial, you just imagine the Spirit of God rests upon me. He's upon me. He's with me. He will not forsake me. He will see me through this. He will help me. And I'd rather have the spirit of glory rest upon me than, well, I denounce Christ. I laugh with them. Look at verse 4, chapter 4. I, when they mock me, well, I run, I run with them, all right? I will run with them. I will compromise. I drink with them a party with them, so that I don't feel so ashamed and left out, embarrassed. I'd rather have the spirit of glory of God rest upon me, that nothing can be compared to the spirit of glory of God. So when you go through whatever it is, one day, when it comes, say, I'd rather choose the spirit of glory resting on me. Then God says, Ichabod, I depart from you. I leave you alone. The Spirit of God would re re refer to the power of God, all right? 
the enabling power of God through His Holy Spirit. Now, friends, with this, I close. All of us suffer. Who said he or she don't suffer at all? All of us suffer. Why do we think it? Why do we seldom think it strange? You suffer in your job to make a living. You suffer as a parent bringing up your children. You suffer as you grow old with, with aches and pain. You suffer in many areas in your life. You suffer, student. You suffer as a student, right? You have to work hard in order to pass your exam. But which one of us say, hey, it's so strange, you know. It's very strange, eh? Daddy, when I come home, Daddy, you know, it's very strange. I have to study very hard, you know. I have to do a lot of homework. Then I can pass my test. Don't you think it's very strange, Daddy? Or your husband comes home from work and tells, you know, wife, today something very strange happened to me. What? You know, oh, my boss is very unreasonable. And he threatened me, you know, if, if I don't do this, I don't do that, he will fire me. Don't you think it's very strange? Eh? You, do you ever think it's strange? Mothers say, your, your husband comes home and say, you know, husband, something very strange today. Husband, wow, what happened? The child was very naughty, you know. Very difficult to handle. And then I was very tired. Then, wow, it's so difficult. Bringing him quality was very difficult. So strange, huh? You do not ever think it's strange in life because it's what you want. It's what you want. Now my point is this. How can I look at life and the trials of life and the difficulties of life and yet rejoice. Which one of you say, I have to work so hard? And all that you say, well, I've got to make a living. Wow, I got a job. You know, I'm so thankful. I've got health. I'm so thankful. You rejoice. Because it's what you want. Which one of you who is planning for a holiday back to your hometown or to whatever river, all right, will say, Ah, so, tr so much trouble. Ah, you know, very strange, you know, how you have to pack so many things, you have to drive so long. It's no point. No, it's like, well, you say, you look forward to, you go through it. Now, until you and I, until you and I understand the prom see the promises of God, that the glory of, the, the spirit of glory will rest, but he will help you, and this will see you through and will help you pass and help you on the day of the Lord be exceeding joy. Unless that is what you want. Just like you want that holiday, you want that job, you want that promotion, you want to pass that exam, you want to, just because you want that, you, you do not think it's strange to suffer. In fact, you rejoice that you're allowed to go through that suffering because you look forward to the end, the promised end. And here is a very sure promise. Friends, if you and I do not look at the trials in life as things that you really want to pass, that when you see the Lord, you will have no regrets, you can hold your head up and thank God that He has seen you through it. How you brought up your children, how you live your Christian life. Unless that is your aim, you see everything that God allows in your life it's very miserable. You cannot rejoice. All right, so I hope that we learn how to look at life that will help us to rejoice. Let us turn to God in prayer.